Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another show. Uh, it is Thursday. Hey, Lou. Good morning. How are good you? Good morning. How are we this morning? Very good. I heard you just had Great. your granddaughters in, so you're just getting your yes. act back together after that. <laughs> I am. I'm a little discombobulated, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to try and catch up. All right. Excellent. So today we are going to be talking about uh, verses 11 through, sorry, 17 through 19. Right. But I wanted to let you, the listener, know that verses 11 to 25 essentially talks about similar things. It is basically all talking about the Atman, that is the uh, energy within us, the consciousness within us that enlivens everything. And how for from verse 11 to verse 25, basically there's a repetition of similar things. Right. So if you were to read it, my friend, on in the Gita, you would essentially say these verses are all saying the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. They're basically saying there's an Atman inside you and that empowers you, that enlivens you, that's the consciousness. And you're saying... 14 verses of the same sort of thing going over and over again. But it's like an onion. You peel back the first layer and there's a deeper layer, and then there's a deeper layer, and there's a deeper layer. Every time you get something more out of these verses, which are very philosophically extremely deep, you won't understand it or see it when you see it the first time. Right. But recognize that this is Krishna, the self-realized Lord that is talking to Arjuna and telling him, don't grieve over people who are died, uh, who are who die. Don't grieve over having to slay, kill uh, these people who are standing across from you in the battle. And you may say, well, why does he need 14 verses to do this? And that's what I'm going to be talking about mm-hmm. today. Excellent. So in from verse 11 to 25, the First verse, I mean, one thing that it says is that the Atman never dies. And this is something that is crucial. That's why it's in the second chapter, that we should know this from here on in. That is one of the basics, that the Atman does not die. It's nitya. The body dies, Mm -hmm. not the self. The mind dies in some sense, but then the mind and the vasanas. And for those of you who may not have seen the basics. Have you, if you've not gone back, you won't understand this unless you go back and read the basics or listen to the basics. And I will repeat that to some extent uh, today and uh, in the next session. But the mind and the vasanas go on to the next body. The body uh, essentially has stopped functioning. Uh, when the body can no longer fulfill the desires or the vasanas of the Atman, then the, the Atman takes a new body as if it's throwing off its clothes. In the 13th verse, the Gita talks about how we, each one of us, thinks of us as I am a child, I'm a little boy, I'm a young man, I'm an adolescent, I'm a married man, I'm a middle-aged man, I'm an old man. But throughout all of that, there's one thing that is constant. Whether you're sleeping, whether you're waking, whether you're dreaming, there's one thing that's constant. And that is through both childhood, middle age, old age, and waking, dreaming, deep sleep state. The constant is the Atman. That's the consciousness. Yes. Recognize that when I'm awake right now, I'm talking to you, all of you, and I'm saying, I am talking to you, right? Yes. I know because I know that I'm conscious right now. 
when I'm dreaming, I may think I am, uh, what'd you say, uh, Tom Brady. Tom Brady, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Tom Brady. I'm dreaming of that. Yeah. But in that, I'm saying I am Tom Brady. Again, there's a consciousness. Right. In deep sleep, I know nothing. I'm fast asleep. But when I wake up, I say I was fast asleep. I was so fast asleep, I didn't know anything that was going on. But right. So that's consciousness. Then we come to the 16th verse, which I told you when we were discussing that last time, that the 16th verse is very profound. And in that, yes. the Gita, the Krishna says, the Atman is the only thing that is real in this whole world. Everything else is essentially a manifestation of the Atman. Right. In the beginning, that may be hard to understand, but recognize it as a person who is an actor comes on puts on a disguise on his face different clothes comes onto the stage and you say hey that guy is looks like but isn't something so that person who looks like somebody else but really is the actor inside is what we are what you and I are Mm -hmm. You may look the way you look right now. I may look the way I am, but essentially we're the same because the Atman is the same for every living and non-living right. thing around. It's imperishable. It's everywhere. Everything else is just a basic reflection. Um, verse number 17. So we were talking about verse verses. And in 17, it says, know indeed that to be indestructible that meaning the Atman, to be indestructible, by which all of this is pervaded. That means the Atman pervades everything, you, me, uh, the mountains, everything. And none can cause the destruction of this Atman. So that's pretty much self-explanatory. The Atman is indestructible. Everything else is perishable. Right. Verse 18 says, these bodies of the embodied the Atman comes to this earth through the bodies. This Atman is eternal, indestructible, immeasurable, and the other bodies have an end. So same thing again. He's saying that the Atman is eternal, indestructible, and immeasurable. So each one of these, by the way, if you look on YouTube, if you look in books, if you look in any philosophical literature, each one of these verses can be discussed for hours and hours on end. Each word out of all of these words in each verse has a great meaning. So when you say eternal, what exactly does eternal mean? It takes you into a very complicated discussion of time. Time, space, and causality are three very important philosophical and scientific measures here. Sure. So eternal yeah. refers to time. When, if I just say, well, it's eternal, you say, okay, fine. At a very superficial level, I'm saying it's always there. Right. But at a deeper level, which I don't want to go into today, A, because it's a little over my own head, <laughs> and B... Well, see, so you've got because, me excited about it now. This is what I want to delve into, but yeah. <laughs> so eternal means, you know, when, when did the Atman or Brahman actually begin? Oh, yeah. Did it begin at the earliest of time? Did it begin before time? I mean, what exactly is time, right, Lou? Right. T 
time is a measure of from one experience to the next. Something has to be experienced before you say, okay, now is when something begins. Right. And then you, when the first time you actually experience something, the second experience, as you say, okay, now there's time between the second experience and the first experience. It's a sequence, right? It's a sequence. So the second experience really determines that time period. Right. That's why, in essence, we believe that it was called a second. The measure of time is known as a second. Oh. And the reason being that yeah. it's the second experience that determines this. But we're going now down the rabbit hole. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I, I want to go, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So it says it's the eternal. And basically, it means that it, it was there before time even began. Right. And it was there in the past. It's there in the present. And it will be there in the future and forever. It's indestructible. That talks about a whole other philosophy. I mean, my head spins when I read these or hear these commentaries about this. It's indestructible. It's immeasurable. Right. So the question is, how do you measure? When you talk, talk about measurement, they start talking about infinity. And my head spins because of how many sure. kinds of infinity there are. There's 17 infinities in this instance, more infinities than that. I thought infinity is infinity, but no, it's immeasurable. Well, doesn't this um, come back to the Atman is the only thing that's real because destruction, uh, time, uh, measurement is all our constructs. This is all things we make up. Yeah. Right? So the only thing that is permanent, the only thing that is real, mm -hmm. the only thing that cannot be measured is the Atman or right. Brahman. Yep. Okay. Then verse 19 says, he who thinks of the Atman as a slayer and he who thinks of this as slain, both of them are ignorant. This Atman is neither, neither slays nor is slain. Mm -hmm. So he's specifically talking about slaying because um, Arjuna was saying, I don't want to fight. I don't want to slay anybody. I'd rather be slain myself. I'd rather be killed. I'm not a coward, but I don't want to hurt anybody. And what, what Krishna is saying is that the Atman does not slay anybody. Right. What he's really also pointing out, again, a much deeper meaning to this, that the Atman is just like gas or petrol in your car. It only allows you and I and Arjuna to function. Mm -hmm. It doesn't actually make a decision. It doesn't slay anybody. It doesn't get slain. It's just the energy. I mean, look at the petrol in your car as you're right. driving it. It doesn't determine which direction the car is going. It doesn't determine how fast it's going. It doesn't determine whether it gets into an accident or not. Right. It just gives you energy to drive. So um, the Atman is neither a doer nor an experiencer. So we will talk about some of that as we go on. So we, again... Acting is not part of the Atman. The Atman doesn't act. The Atman is only petrol. Mm -hmm. But what acts? What causes us to act? Our actions are determined by our thoughts. Right. Initially, there are vasanas, which are the engines, which are the unmanifest desires. It's a little hard to understand because you say, what's a desire? What's an unmanifest desire? But let's take it to be that vasanas are the engine, the driving force behind desires. They're manifested during the time that you're not awake. Whether it be during the dream sleep or deep sleep, these vasanas then produce the 
desires that come about. How do they produce it? You wake up thinking of something. Mm. Yes. Now, that first thought is where you need to arrest this before it becomes a desire. So a thought then leads to another thought. Okay, let's just say that I'm diabetic. Yes. And, and my doctor tells me, you may not eat sweets. But I have a vasana for sweets. I like sweets from the time that I was born. I've always liked sweets. This is an inherent desire of vasana within me. Right. I go to sleep. I wake up. I have the thought to say, hey, you know, I have kept this house devoid of any sweets. But my sister who lives next door <laughs> has, I know she keeps a stash of chocolates in her closet. I saw it one day. I could go there and take some of those chocolates. That's a thought. Yep. Now you push that thought out of your mind, it comes back another minute later and another minute later and another minute later. Now, when these thoughts keep coming, it's like a little one thought at a time becomes a stream right. of thoughts, yep. then becomes a river of thoughts. That river of thoughts then becomes a desire, a small desire. That small desire becomes a bigger and bigger and bigger desire. Some of this is repetition, folks. And even the Gita says, Vyasa says when he's writing it again and again, that repetition is necessary for yes. it to go into you. So I'm repeating, so forgive me. So that desire again and again and again says leads to an action. So this is a key because it is important for us to recognize this concept. Thought, then desire, then action. And so... I get up, I go, I have a key to my sister's apartment. I don't have a sister, but I'm just telling you. Yes. Open my sister's apartment, go in there and say, where are those closets? Where are those chocolates in the closet? Find yeah. them, eat them, something that I'm not supposed to do. But I eat it. My intellect doesn't stop me. My mind is the one that has the desires and my tongue, which is the sense organ. I eat those chocolates. Then I start to feel guilty. But now what happens is, the desire is temporarily satisfied, temporarily. Right. Yes. I go back to close her apartment. I hope she doesn't find out that I took the chocolates. Go back to my apartment, close it. Then I think, start thinking, wow, that chocolate was so good. What am I doing? I'm lingering on the pleasure that I got from the desire. Yes. That leads to further desire, right? Yes. So here's the vicious cycle. I ate the chocolates. I got some satisfaction. But now, because I satisfied the desire... I'm, it's leading to more desires because I'm I'm lingering on it. Oh, my God, that chocolate was so good. <laughs> I tell you, Godiva chocolate is the best, yeah. uh, better than any chocolate I've ever had. But she had so many more chocolates in there. No, 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 I can't go back there. <laughs> so now what I'm doing is I'm fueling the desires. Right. Desire-ridden action. So I go back there. I say, okay, maybe I'll have another couple of, one more, one more, only one more. My sugar was great last time I went to the doctor. <laughs> <clears throat> so desire leads to action action then leads to back again to desire which also combines with the thought now what at the same time i'm doing is i'm fueling the vasanas so that by the time i come back to life i die and then come back to life those vasanas are pre-existing that have been fueled throughout my actions in this lifetime now i only gave you the 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 example of eating yes but allow apply that to every sense organ and every organ of action, including money, for instance, greed for money, including for power, for fame, for sexual activity, all of these come back again 
as vasanas. And each one of these actions lead to future desires. Now, what happens if I have that desire for the chocolates, but I don't exercise it, right? Yes. Philosophically, think to yourself, okay, so if I act on my desires, that's when it goes up, right? It goes up and becomes a vicious cycle. What if I don't go to my sister's and I don't steal those chocolates? Won't it go away? Not at this point, because the desire has already been enlivened. Right. If you had arrested it when it was just a thought, it would have been one thing. But now that you've got the desire, frustrating it only makes the desire go worse. Right. You don't, you have the desire, say, no, I don't. But the thought keeps coming again and again in your waking state, in your dream state, in your deep sleep state. And the desire keeps multiplying because you didn't um, fulfill that desire. So to summarize, what happens is you have a vasana, results in a thought, results in a desire, results in multiple desires, results in an action. That action then leads to further desires or no action leads to further desires, and you keep going round and round in that circle. Right. Now, think about all the ways in which we act on a day-to-day -day basis. This was just fulfilling a desire. But now, I've got a job, you've got a job, you're going to the job, your job says you've got to do something. Let's say you are a person working in a car factory. Mm -hmm. And you say, well, I'm in the car factory. I've got this. I want, to, I want to do a good job so that I will get the notice of my general manager and I'll get a promotion right. and that'll give me more power and it'll give me more money. If your actions in that car factory are designed with that desire-ridden action. That desire-ridden action is working the act with a desire for the fruit. Right. Then every time you're working, half your mind is focused on, is the general manager looking at me? Is the manager looking at me? Why is he looking at that other guy and not complimenting me? Right. Imagine how much of your energy is devoted to looking at something else. That's because you're constantly thinking, am I going to get the reward that I'm looking for or not? Right. So your actions are not 100% fruitful. As opposed to a person that says, hey, you know what? I've got a great job working at this Tesla automobile factory. I'm producing electric cars. I'm doing such a good thing for civilization. Every car I make produces less uh, pollution in the air, mm -hmm. and I'm doing something great. I'm just giving you an example. Yeah, uh, you know the the governor of California is going to be driving in this car, and it's all thanks to what we are here doing together. It's nothing for me, but I just want to do a good job. What happens is my energies are focused not on getting a reward or money or power or fame, but doing a good job so that the atmosphere is not polluted, so that the governor has a nice car to ride, and that gives me satisfaction. Right. What happens? The manager's floating around, the general manager's walking, and I'm just diligently working. I'm not focused on the, And the manager sees that. The general manager sees that. He says, look, this guy is, uh, what is it called? Um, spooning up to me, uh, uh, kissing up to kissing me. me. Kissing up to me, yeah. Yeah, the other guy has got his head down and he's working. He's diligently working. So the general manager says to the manager, he says, that guy over there, he's hard, we're a hard worker, right? 
He says, oh, yeah, he produces the most cars out of all these people who are working here. Right. Hmm. So the general manager takes notice, the manager takes notice, etc. Why? Because my mind is not distracted by anything else. I'm focused only on that. The benefits, therefore, accrue to the person who is not desire-ridden in his actions. The benefits deserve for, for a number of reasons. Number one, your actions are all geared with the same amount of energy. You don't get tired because at the end of it, you feel satisfied by doing the act alone. Yes. The pleasure should be in what you ought to do, not that you're doing it for some result. Not so you results, get the pleasure right. from what you ought to do. Right. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, not the you're results asking. and not the future. You're not just, the results. You're just working right. on what you're working on. Correct. So you have to conquer your mind. Your mind will say, hey, you know what? If I do this, uh, the minute that happens and it starts to go down that ride, remember the desires? Yes. It's going to become a desire to say, I want money, I want power, I want fame. You have to arrest that thought and just say, no, I'm doing this for the right reasons. Another example would be if you're a firefighter. You know, why are you doing this? To right. get to be chief of the fire division or because you want to save lives? You're a doctor. You want to do this because every patient that walks in, you see dollar signs in front of the patient. Right. Or, and that's why you're doing it. Or you're doing this because you really care for the patient. You want to do the best you can. If you're doing it for that reason, your mind is going to be focused on that. And what happens is the result is with greater energy on your part, less distraction, and greater success. And the people who see your work, the patients, the population, the mayor of the town where you're a firefighter, the general manager of the Tesla car company that you're working for, all see, and you are the one that is given the promotions and the raises and the success. And patients come to you and they say, go back and they tell all their friends and relatives, oh, wow, this guy is great. Right. So everything that you wanted comes to you without your actually forcing it. So that's the uh, thoughts and the action. How much uh, time do we have, Lou? Uh, well, for about eight, seven and a half minutes, if you want to go to 30. Okay, let's let's do this uh, for now. Um, so the first thing we have to do is to develop. You con conquer your mind and you develop the uh, intellect. Right. You conquer your mind. You conquer the world. Right. Don't be attached to it. The mind, if you allow it to, the desires will go amok. You will. There's no limit to it. It's like the 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 analogy given in the scriptures is that the mind and its desires are like fire. It is never satisfied. Imagine a fire with just one log. Hmm. And as it's burning, you throw another log onto it because it says, I'm running out of logs. Throw another log. Fire burns. Then it starts to, you throw another log. There is no limit to how much it can take up of these logs or how much wood. Same thing with the desires. It's just one after the next after the next. Well, the mind um, only serves desires, right? The mind's main thing is to serve your desires, your vasanas. So if you let it loose, it'll just go wild. Well, I, I, that's one thing, it's desires. But that's not the only function of the mind. The mind is what we in most religions, cultures, etc., think of as the, the desires is what's thought of as Satan. But it's not only my uh, desires, it's also emotions, mm -hmm. right? So 
The mind has wishes, which are desires. It has emotions, love, fear, hatred, all come from the mind. Right. The intellect is the one that decides this is good, this is not good. This is okay, it's not okay. It's that decision-making power. The mind is not. So you got to watch out for the emotions too. Yeah. Some people say it's not desireness, but I do care for love and I want love and I want caring and I want this. So again, yeah. you could say it's the desires for the love, but right. the mind is the seat of the emotions. Right. Um, and the, the next issue is the attachment. And then, then we can stop over here. Attachment, the examples that Gautam Jain gave us were twofold that I thought were very, very striking. One is that you have an attachment. Let's say you, you rent a car. You, you own a brand new car. You buy a new car. You're driving in it. Right. And you run through a pothole. And you hit the thing, and as it goes through the pothole, your heart sinks. And you say, wow, uh, I just hit a pothole. Just pull over to the side. You look. You say, did, I, did my car get hurt? Your heart sank when you went through the pothole. Right. The same car, if you didn't own it, you were renting it, go through a pothole. You come out of it. You say, wow, these shock absorbers for these new cars are amazing. Yeah. Uh, I hope I didn't damage anything. Yeah. Gautam Jain says that the Gita essentially says, go through life as if it is a rented car or a hotel room. You go to a hotel room, you don't worry about the sheets or the pillows or right. the, you know, you, you don't treat it in the same way as if this were yours. If something wrong, you call downstairs and say, send me up another pillow, send me up another uh, blanket or whatever it is that you say. So go through life as if this were not something that you were attached to. Now, this becomes harder when you talk about attachment to human beings. Right. But at a higher level of spirituality, if you can also not be attached to your spouse, your children, your family, then it is um, you can live life in that manner. Um, so if you as you grow spiritually, you will find that your attachment to these things definitely goes away. And I can tell you that from personal experience, that if you have a pen, you lose the pen, how upset are you going to be? If no. you have a watch, how upset are you going to be? You, and I'm not, I'm not talking about a big pen or a you know a one cent pen. I'm talking about like a Mont Blanc pen. Right. Or if you lose that, how upset are you going to be? Well, as you grow spiritually, you may say, well, it's okay. I used to be upset thinking about these things, but now I'm not. What happens if you lose your watch? Well, I used to be upset, but now I'm not. Right. What happens about your car? Would you be upset if you didn't have insurance on your car and your car got burnt? Um, what happens about your house or your family? You know, at some point, right. your spirituality ends. And there are many stories of uh, spiritual uh, sages, rishis, who had families, but basically, their attachment, even when told that your son, unfortunately, has passed away, would say, yes, um, I grieve. Not that they don't grieve, but they right. don't go up and down in grief. That's a whole other concept that we need to talk about. But I think our time is up for today. So I'm trying to limit these. Lou and I are trying to limit these to about 20 minutes to 30 minutes for people who do commuting. So I thank you for listening, and we will continue next time. <laughs>